0: Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Our text for our sermon is our Old Testament text from Isaiah 42, the account of the servant of the Lord who is blind. Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island has some rather seedy and sinister characters in it. and Why not? It is a story about pirates, after all. No, actually, it is the story about pirates. And I don't remember anymore exactly which cinematic version I first saw as a child, but since Disney's TV show, The Wonderful World of Color, maybe some of you who are my age might remember it, That was a standard part of my family's Sunday evening routine, and so it was a memorable part of my childhood, so I rather suspect it was Walt Disney's version of Treasure Island that I first watched. And that movie made a huge impression on me. Living in the constraints of the mundane, tame world of the safe and wholesome American Midwest, Treasure Island fired my imagination. A treasure map, square rigged ships cutthroat pirates mutiny a chest filled with gold but the part that stole the show the thing that stayed with me long after the movie was over was a secondary character blind pew he was terrifying yes john silver was bad he could be menacing but he was also A complex figure and a thoroughly sympathetic sort of character, but not blind Pew. No, Pew was thoroughly creepy. He comes tap, tap, tapping through the dark and the fog and then suddenly specter-like appears and does his dark deed, burying the dirty black spot in the trembling palm of old Billy bones. Pew marks poor Billy for death and then, like a shadow, is swallowed again by the night. Pew is absolutely dark and disturbing. Saturated in evil, his physical blindness is the outward manifestation of his internal darkness. Pew's heart is black, as black, as the black spot that spelled the doom of Billy Bones. The darkness, the blindness issue from the wretched bent pirate and seemed to infuse and debase everything around him. Some critics have admired Stevenson's genius in making his most fearsome character a blind man. Maybe it was genius, I don't know. I just know that it scared the heck out of me Pew with his black spot. Yikes. The only consolation was that old Pew failed to make a clean escape. Had he done so, well, it would have left open the possibility of a nighttime visit to the landlocked plains of Nebraska, to a lonely parsonage next to a lonely church under the covers of under the covers of his bed. The oldest of the three sons of the pastor were staying very carefully alert and listening to any possible alien sounds from outside his window. In my young and fertile mind, such an unlikely event was a very live possibility. Was that a cane that just tapped on the front porch? But mercifully, Pew was trampled to death by the charging horses of the revenue men coming to the rescue of the young hero Jim Hawkins. Pew got his just desserts. I was grateful for that. Pew's physical blindness was unusual because it did not evoke sympathy or sorrow, rather fear and revulsion. And it is the same with the blind servant described by Isaiah. And the same with the people of Israel, God's chosen servant. This people, this chosen nation, this servant of Yahweh also is blind and the blindness, tragic as it is, does not elicit our sympathy or even pity. Now this blindness of God's people, Israel, fosters disgust and contempt. You see, the problem, of course, is that Israel's blindness is not congenital, nor was this blindness the sad consequence of some accident or some devastating disease. No, the blindness of Israel was not imposed on them by a malignant outside force. No, this blindness is contemptible because it was willfully, intentionally chosen by the people themselves. They chose to be blind. God had done everything for his people. He had graced his chosen servant Israel with every advantage, with every blessing. He had rescued this people from slavery, he had given them a wonderful land, and he had routinely intervened for them when hostile nations threatened. He had supplied them with all that they could possibly need. His work on behalf of his people, specifically evident in the law that defined them and that bound them to him. His work had for them had been great and glorious. And Israel looked at all these gifts and refused to see. The people refused to see all that God had done. They refused to see all that God had done for them, all he had given. They would not see. They did not want to see. They were blind by choice, and blind selectively. There were some things that they did see quite clearly. They saw the things that were more interesting to them than God's things. The people could see their own plans, their own comforts. They could see their own dreams and their own aspirations. And they, sadly and shamefully, could even see the idols of their neighbors. They saw clearly the things that they desired, but when it came to God and His glory and His law, they were blind, as blind and as despicable as Old Pew. God presents all His grace and all His gifts and all His glory, all that He wills to give to His people, and their response is that of the petulant, disobedient child, who turns away from his parent, squeezes his eyes shut, claps his hands over his ears, and starts humming loudly. How often do you assume the same posture? God wants you to see the wonder and beauty of this fresh day that he has given to you. But you won't look at his gift. You can only see the demands and the deficiencies of the day. You have too much to do or not enough to do. The day becomes a burden. God provides you with food and shelter, but you are so accustomed to the gifts you don't even see them anymore. God graces you with a spouse with whom to share life's joys and sorrows and what fills your eyes are the shortcomings and quirks that seem to multiply with the passage of time. God blesses you with the opportunity and liberty of singleness. You can't see past the empty space that you wish was filled. God gives the direction and significance of a vocation to be done. And you see only the liabilities and trivialities or your own inadequacies and fears. God gives you meaningful and purposeful work to do, but you see only the difficulty of the task the insufficiency of the compensation you receive. God gives his plan for a life of purpose and meaning and you turn away and you look for something more immediately satisfying. God gives the certainty of sacraments and you look for something with a a bit more flash, a little more feeling attached. God gives his church to form and feed and comfort and you see only things to despise and reject. People too far right, others too far left, people with too little commitment, people with too much zeal, worship that isn't exciting and interesting enough, teachings that demand too much. Gift upon gift and grace upon grace come from the hand of your God, but your hands are over your ears, your eyes are pinched tight, and you are loudly humming your own chosen anthem of independence. You won't see what God gives. You won't see what God wants you to see. You choose blindness. So God acts again. He has to act. He can't help himself. His love has no other outcome. Like a woman, at the point of giving birth, there is no holding back. There is no way to stop the unfolding of the plan. For the sake of his blind people, for the sake of you, he willfully sends his plan and makes it happen. God acts. He sends Another servant, he sends the servant not petulant or stubbornly rebellious. This servant is the obedient son. This servant does not miss or ignore what the Lord would have him see. He does not fail to hear what he is to hear. He does not refuse to act when he is to act. At last, the Lord and Creator of the world, Yahweh, has. Finally, his servant, who is all that Israel and you and me are not. At last, there is a servant who is not blind. But no, wait. That's not right. Look again at what Isaiah declares about God's servants. Look and see and marvel. You see, this servant, this new, obedient, faithful servant of God is also blind. But this blindness is very different than the blindness of Israel or of you and me. This blindness of this servant is the blindness of faithful obedience to God. By choice, he is blind to all that would keep him from living as God's righteous servant. This servant refuses to see what we all see. He won't see the path of indulgence or self-promotion. He won't see the opportunities for self-pity and complaints or for personal glory and acclaim. He is willfully, deliberately blind, not for the sake of himself, but for the sake of love. He won't see what even Peter could see that the cross is to be shunned and avoided. Peter tried. He tried to dissuade God's servant from the way of the cross. Peter forbade the faithful servant to follow the path to crucifixion. But God's servant refused to heed the disciples' words. He refused to see what Peter could see. He would not see the horror and the pain of the cross that Peter saw so clearly. Blind, the true and faithful servant embraces the cross. He is blind to the hard wood, blind to the nails, blind to the shame, insensitive to the suffering, and deaf to the jeers and the taunts. He is the blind servant of the Lord. This blind servant comes Into the world's darkness and this servant faithfully does the deed he was sent to accomplish But this blind man shrouded in suffering Shadows and fear does not deliver the black spot. No this blind man takes it and endures it he takes the judgment of justice into his palm is driven the nail of condemnation. The death sentence, the condemnation of judgment crashes down on him, and he dies, crushed, run over, trampled by the charging righteousness of God's perfect law and justice. The blind man, the faithful, blind servant of God, is dead. The servant has done God's bidding, and fulfilled God's eternal plan. Isaiah tells us that the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. And indeed at the cross, the law was magnified. But if it pleased the Lord for his righteousness sake to make his law great and glorious, it pleased him even more for our righteousness sake to make his gospel weak and humble and plain so that we might become righteous the righteous and faithful servant sent by god became powerless and helpless and blind and yet in the wonder of god's unfolding irresistible plan another marvel takes place. The blind, trampled servant is raised up, alive again, glorified again. The gospel work of the faithful servant is not impotent, but omnipotent. It is not shame, but infinite honor. Being run down by the law is not the end. It is the beginning. The servant of the Lord is now the resurrected, all-seeing, all-glorious servants and Lord. And he is unstoppable in his purpose. And his purpose is, as it always is, his people and their salvation. And so then he comes now to his people, to those willfully, foolishly, sinfully blind servants of his. He will not be deterred. He comes now, even to you. He finds you in your dark world, in your deliberate state of self-imposed oblivion, and he stills your rebellious anthem of independence, and he ever, ever so gently pulls your hands away from your ears, and then, more gently still, pushes open your creased eyelids so that you are able to see what is before you. And now at last, you see. You see Jesus. Amen. Lord God, give us eyes to see Jesus and then to see as he sees, living for the sake of the world around us, serving those around us, and refusing to serve ourselves. We pray in Christ. Amen.